your Bibles, Second Chronicles, and uh, I'm not bringing a, a very long reading in this uh, first section, but I'll be in this part of the Bible for a bit, okay? Second Chronicles and chapter 1, verse 1, I'll tell you, it's a short reading. Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your call. Incredible commitment you make to us. Lord, we pray right now for your presence. Please let your spirit rest on us. Please let us learn. Please let us be helped, shaped by truth. Lord, we read Paul talk about you were poured into this doctrine. Lord, we want to be poured into biblical perspectives, biblical way of thinking. Lord, help us, please, Holy Spirit. Thank you, come to own truth for us. Lead us into truth. So please, Father, be our, be our strength. Help us to hear and to speak. Perfect your purpose in us, God. Let fruit come, please, Father, because we gave attention to this word. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're, I guess, familiar with Solomon. I love the testimony of David when he uh, passed away. You get this wonderful phrase, David fell asleep, having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. A tremendous testimony. Uh, that, we'd love that on our tombstone, wouldn't we? If we get a tombstone. Uh, having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. But, of course... God's purpose goes beyond a generation, uh, goes beyond David, goes beyond you and me. His purpose keeps marching on. And David has amazingly uh, laid a foundation, a phenomenal foundation, and hands over to the next generation, hands over to Solomon, and it says he established himself securely. And uh, that can give you a kind of wrong note. It can be Sounds like a self-made man. It sounds like a guy who knows what he's doing in terms of maybe what you might think natural resourcefulness. He's the guy. Um, and yet, actually, if you look uh, underneath the surface, you know that Solomon is not exactly the guy you would have expected to follow on. David had many sons. And Solomon, you could argue, shouldn't have been on the planet. I mean, let's put it as boldly as that. He shouldn't have been on the planet. Uh, David committed a gross sin when he snatched Bathsheba and defiled her, produced children, uh, killed or arranged for the death of her husband. I mean, it was gross, absolutely gross. And out from that, ultimately, comes Solomon. And uh, he's chosen. And this is the phenomenal thing about God, isn't it? Don't you love the grace of God? Yeah. I'm amazed at God's grace. I never get over it. I never want to get over it. Uh, it's just ceaseless grace that you think, I don't deserve anything, and yet you keep on blessing, and keep on showing favor, and keep on showing mercy. And Solomon speaks of that straight away. He's, I mean, he's born the wrong side of the tracks. He's really uh, not the guy who should be doing anything. Uh, so it's phenomenal, brothers and sisters, to know God called us. I find that such a strength. 
that uh, for me, you know, some people talk about Reformed theology, and uh, I know some of the Reformed theologians in England are some of the most miserable people you could possibly meet. But, but I love the truth. God called me. God chose me. I mean, it's just breathtaking. And you find that David says to Solomon, uh, in 1 Chronicles 28, just turn back a page, consider now, the Lord has chosen you to build a house. Like, consider it. Do weigh out this breathtaking thing that he's chosen you. And that undergirds all I want to talk about in this session. Consider this, God chose you. And uh, you just need to ponder that. You need to let that break into your soul. You need times in a busy program, which I'm sure you will have, to just stand back and let that just dawn on your soul. Just let it overwhelm you. Uh, I had a a beautiful day when I was up in Pretoria. Uh, There was a day we we had nothing to do on, and I had to prepare something for something I'm doing soon. And it was an opportunity to sit back and sit back. And I just found this whole truth again. Just You can never get enough of it. God chose you. God, God put his hand on you. God's purpose, God's favor. You need to sit there sometimes and drink that and drink that and drink that. Otherwise, you just get caught up in the hurly-burly of busyness and God chose you. Consider now, the Lord has chosen you. So you're a man or woman of destiny. I was in uh, Delhi last year and there's a couple there from out from England and uh, helping this new church plant that we're involved in. And the guy's got a role. His wife's a medical doctor. And it was so sweet talking to her. She said, when I was 15, I was at Stonely Bible Week, which used to be our big summer camp. She said, when I was 15, I knew God called me. I was just I was so thrilled to hear people say, when I was a kid, you know, I knew God spoke to me. And there she is in Delhi with her husband, helping to plant a church. And I think, hey, when God's called you, it's breathtaking. It's something phenomenal. So he's chosen, he's God's chosen, and it says he established himself. And that sense of destiny should grip us. I love what probably when an Englishman thinks about a man of destiny, we tend to think of something like Churchill. And he says, that, Churchill said this, I felt I was walking with destiny. We didn't know the Lord as far as we know. I felt I was walking with destiny. There's nothing more wonderful to feel none of God's hand is upon us. So let's just see what the outcome of that was. He established himself. Now what does that mean? It's interesting. In Chronicles, that's it. It doesn't say anymore. If you look at the parallel story in Kings, you find in 1 Kings 2.46, thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. What did that mean? Well, if you read the context there in 1 Kings, you'll find it demonstrates shocking ruthlessness in establishing his kingdom. Shocking ruthlessness. When it says he established himself, it means he killed a few people. He killed a few people. And uh, he put to death Adonijah, who was a kind of stepbrother, who was next in line to Absalom, and himself was a very handsome, we're told, 1 Kings 1, he was Adonijah, a very handsome man, born after Absalom, exalted himself to be king. And he got on his side uh, Joab, one of David's mighty men. And uh, he also then had ideas to get Abishag, who was the girl that David, when he 
I love that old King James translation. When David was getting old, he gat no heat. Don't you love that phrase? He's, he's, very cold. he's very cold at night. And so they do a beauty contest, and they present the winner of the beauty contest to be his hot water bottle. And it, and it, and it says, but he, but he didn't know her, right? But, uh, but so she's, she's, you know, and, then, and this guy says, I'd like her to be my... And, and Solomon says, hey, this is a power play, and he kills him. Someone else is after the throne. And, and I think we just need to see that in spiritual terms, that if they're going to serve God, anything else that's claiming a right to my... The throne in my life has to be put to death. Other things will have all kinds of desires. Even ambition to serve God, even you know, desires for success, all sorts of stuff can be your true idol. Wanting to be liked... All kinds of stuff can mess you up. And the Bible says that if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we shall live. And there has to be some ruthlessness of putting other stuff to death. There has to be ruthlessness. And say, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. And you find there's a, a kind of ruthlessness when Paul says in Colossians 3, you have died, you've been raised with Christ, therefore put to death the members of your earthly body, immorality, impurity, passion, greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's a ruthlessness. Jesus talked about if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, tear it out. It's, it's, it sounds horrific, the language that's used. And it isn't because Jesus wants a lot of one-armed followers. You know, it's talking about be ruthless with areas of spiritual danger. And uh, it's tragic. I've been in ministry long enough to see guys that looked as though they were going to be very significant, and they're gone. And it's very, very sad when that happens. And uh, sometimes it's the biggest surprise. You think, you never would have dreamed he would have done such a thing. And, and, and God doesn't, I mean, let me put it this way, Satan doesn't mind how long he leaves you. In fact, the higher position you can have to tear you down, the ramifications are massive. So, he established himself. He, he was clear. He put to death other dreams, other fantasies, other idols. He did it. As it says in Hebrews, lay aside every encumbrance and run this race unentangled. Yeah. You clear with that, brothers, sisters? We'll be very clear with it. Satan will take you out if you're not clear on those things. And so it's to be a ruthlessness. And in your marriages, you can have dull periods where somehow the sparkle seems to have gone and you'll find there are alternatives around and there's got to be a ruthlessness that says, no, this is the way I'm walking. I'm going to be absolutely clear. I put to death. Because he established, he established his reign through absolute ruthlessness. And uh, it's interesting, as an English phrase, well begun is half done well begun. I know when I got saved, I mentioned in the earlier session, I started very badly. I wasted at least four or five years. I didn't start well. And this guy, he started well. He's kind of ruthless. Like, let's put every other alternative out of the way. I'm going to reign. For us, we're saying, yeah, Jesus, I want you to be absolutely full of authority. I'm let, please come and reign. Be the one who's in charge. The message translation says this, Solomon took a firm grip on the reins of his kingdom. 
He took a firm grip. So, beloved, that's where we must start. Because, see, the whole thing is because the Lord has chosen us. We're not free agents. We are his. We, we're not our own. We're his. We don't have choices. We don't have freedom. Come on, let's give ourselves unreservedly. We used to be slaves of sin. Now we're slaves of righteousness. Let's be pure. Let's make good choices when no one's looking. Let's be pure and holy before him. Let's make clear, clear choices so that we've seen the kingdom established in our lives. That's the starting place, without compromise, without secret areas. I've just been asked to give a talk, and I'm looking at Timothy, and I see how Paul again and again talks about conscience. Let's have our consciences clear. Let's not have any dull areas. Well, I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. No, don't go there. Let's be very, very careful. He established himself. He got himself clear. If we turn over the page, you find in chapter 2, verse 1, now Solomon decided to build a house for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. He decided to build a house. It's interesting, the uh, different translations, I'm reading from the NASB, ESV says he purposed to do it. The AV, King James, says he determined to do it. The NIV says he gave orders. That's interesting. Well, why these different translations? He gave orders. I looked it up and it says the Hebrew actually says he said. So the NIV thinks, well, if he said it, he must have said it to somebody. So it says they've translated he gave orders. The others have more or less said, which I think I'm happier with, he kind of said it inside. He purposed. He determined. He said, I'm going to build a house. He made a great decision. He said, I'm going to do this thing. And it's so important for us, before we do anything, to have a dream. It's important to say in your heart, I'm going to do this. Even before, I love that story of Nehemiah, when it says Nehemiah, uh, he, he, he saw the, the plight of Zion, and, and he got permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. And, and it says this, he had not yet told anybody what was in his heart. He's going around looking at the mess. And yet in his heart, he's got this, I'm going, to re- I'm going to see this built again. He's got something in his heart. And I think that is the mark of a leader, that you get something in your heart before it, it appears yet. There's no wall standing yet, but we know the story of Nehemiah, that with all the backlash, which we'll look at a bit more later, he's, he's got this dream, and we see choirs marching around the walls of his dream. And, and you, I think you've got to have a dream. You've got to have something in your heart that, that motivates you, that stirs you. And it often comes with the call. The call, very often when God calls us, he calls us to a vision. He calls us, and with the call, like you know about, for instance, the Apostle Paul, he calls him and says, now this is what you're going to be, a light to the nations, etc. And it may not be we're a light to the nations in terms of the fullness of the Apostle Paul, but God will put a dream in your heart. God will put something in you, said this is who you are, this is what you're called to. And so he's first of all ruthless with anything else that's going to spoil that. And then he says, right, now I'm going to, I'm going to build uh, this house, I'm going to dream this dream, because God has put it in his heart. I'm going to uh, cause this purpose to be fulfilled. And being decisive is, is a huge thing. He decided. He decided he'd do it. And decisiveness is a bit foreign uh, to our generation. I don't know if you noticed that. People are reluctant to commit. They're reluctant to be decisive. 
And so I know for, in the past, even little details like, you know, I'll put a thing in a diary. This is what date, well, it's then and it's there, okay? That's when it's going to happen. These days, it's, uh, when should we do it? Oh, we'll do it. Okay, well, what will happen? I'll give you a call. Or, will you come? Yeah, I'll probably come. What do you mean you'll probably come? Well, give me a call. It's like, we'll see what's happening at the time. I'll make my decision later. Please don't ask me to commit now. Uh, you know, let's see how it goes. And yeah, I'll probably be there. And, and that kind of thing pervades. There's a fright. It's almost scared to say, yeah, count me in, I'm in. It's like, yeah, well, sounds a good idea. We'll see. What does it mean? Well, we'll see if there's any other idea when the time comes up. <laughs> we'll, we'll think about it later. And, and so you get that right through culture. So in, in our own country, marriage is going out of fashion. Less and less people get married. So there comes that magical day when the guy turns to a girl and says to her, will you? And her heart goes, ah, move in with me. <sighs> so that's what you do now, you move in. Well, because, well, well, we'll see how it goes, shall we? And um, 47% of children in England born last year were born out of wedlock. They reckon we go over the 50% very soon now. And that's with all the abortion rate. But So, well, we don't want marriage. We, who needs that formality? Um, you know, let's just see how it goes. Not because that's got a good track record. Not because that proves very successful and all this stuff about committing, you know, that's unhelpful. No, no, no. Not because pragmatically it works, but because, well, let's do it. And we don't have too much commitment now. So we find a generation that's scared of commitment. They're scared of having a dream. They're scared of saying, well, I'm going for this. Let, let's see later, let's see... You know, you don't want to say these words... I call upon these persons here present to witness that I, forsaking all others, give myself to you. Ouch! That is scary. And there's a generation that's scared of commitment, but to build something requires commitment. It, it requires a dream that you live for. It requires something like, well, this is what I'm going for. This is what's in my heart. I'm going to do this. It's something that makes you make other decisions as well. You say, right, I'm going, I'm going for this. And, uh, you know, we had the Olympics in the UK not long ago, and uh, you had guys standing on podiums while they played your nation's melody. And you stood there. How did that happen? Well, they made, you made decisions, a long lot of decisions. Because somewhere in your heart you thought, I really think I can run a mile faster than anybody else in the world. I really feel I can run 3,000 meters faster. I'm going I'm to do this thing. <laughs> There's something in your heart that says, I'm going to do this. So that makes all sorts of decisions. Are you going to do No, I'm not doing that. Why aren't you doing that? I'm going for this. I've got something in my heart. I've got a dream. I, I dream I could do this. I was so impressed with Andrew Murray, the, uh, Andy Murray, the um, tennis player in England. He, he lost in the final, uh, I think, of Wimbledon like, a couple of years ago. And there's, there's Nadal, there's Federer, there's Djokovic. Think, boy, you know, unlucky you're born at such a time. There's all these giants, you know. Come on, man. Just say, I got to, at least I got... And he didn't say, at least I got to the final. He said, I got one step closer. I was so impressed. I was so impressed that he said, I said, I thought, boy, you didn't think, well, you know, I got this close, but who can? He said, no, I got one step closer. And then this last year, he did it. One Wimbledon. You think, wow, I love that spirit, that I've got a dream... I've got a dream. 
They said about Disney, about Disney World, that uh, someone said, isn't it a shame that Disney never lived to see this? And the answer was, if he hadn't seen it, he wouldn't have been standing here. He saw it. He saw it before he built it. He had a dream, and it's so important that we don't just hang, hang loose. There's something in our hearts that motivates us to make choices so that we prove the will of God. We need to be careful too. And this whole wishy-washy mentality can break into the theological area where people can hang loose about huge doctrinal things because, well, there's a little bit of questioning about that now and we're not sure about and so, well, we don't need to hold too dear to that. Hey, beloved, there's a doctrine. The Bible says we've been poured into it. We're We're to contend strongly for theological issues. We don't have to become contentious people by nature or by style, but there's truths we won't yield on. There's things that we, we won't give up. We don't say, well, I'll hang loose on that. No, we don't hang loose on that. We're building on truth. And we're trying to build something that God will own, that God's committed to. And uh, again, you see in Timothy, Paul's, you know, his final words, he keeps on saying, hold on to the truth. As he hands over to the next generation. Hold on to truth. Don't give up on truth. Don't become, oh, that'll do, or maybe not. No, no, hold it strongly. It's so important that we are committed. We become clear about commitment. And Paul, I love what Peter says, arm yourself with this purpose. Arm yourself. Purpose arms you. It kind of, arrows bounce off. How, you know, how does he not get caught up? Well, he's kind of purposeful. Will you come and do this? No, he's doing that. And, and the very fact that you've got purpose and motive, the other alternatives don't touch you so much because you're focused. So this guy set himself, right, I'm going to do this thing. He set himself to build a house. The Lord had chosen him, so he set himself to do it. That's your biggest calling. God's called you to do something. Make it your priority. It's not a casual deal. We give ourselves to it. Then the next thing, you turn over the page again, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, then... Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. He began to build it. And it says in verse 2, he began to build on the second day in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. And it says in verse 3, these are the foundations which Solomon laid for the building of the house. The length in cubits, according to the old standard, was 60 cubits. And the width... 20 cubits. It's interesting. It's one thing to have a dream. I've got a dream. When you begin to build, it goes from being a dream to dates. See, on this date, it started. On the second day of the, you know, it's date. And fast on the heels of dates come cubits. Who wants to know about cubits? How boring. No, no, no. You have to have dates and cubits to build something. It has to change from this, yeah, I've got a dream. I'm going to build the greatest church Cape Town's ever seen. You know, it's a great dream. I've got a dream. You can meet guys who've got dreams. But if you don't translate dreams into dates and cubits, nothing gets built. You've got to get some practical application and commitment. You've got to have that that comes hard on the heels. Cubits, dates, you start building. You start building. You have a commitment to building. And it's when you start building that you have problems. 
That's when the problems hit in. And, and if you think, well, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to build something. And then you'll find Nehemiah begins to build. When he had a dream, he didn't have any problems. He had no opposition, whatever. He said, I'm going to rebuild the city. No one troubled him. It's when he started putting one brick on top of another. Whammo. Here comes the opposition. Here comes, hey, what are you up to? First of all, mockery. Come on. You're going to build out of this rubbish? Have you seen the people who are with you? Come on. They've already left three other churches. They're hopeless people. Come on. What are you going to build with this broken, these burned bricks? If a fox ran up, it would all fall over. Ah, what do you think you're playing at? He didn't get oppositions until he started building. And then, and then well, and we know your motives. You, you just want to be king over them. We know who you are. And it's like, so hard. People just challenge your motives. You think, I just want to see a building for God. Oh, yeah, we know your motives. You're just after my flock. You're after my sheep. You know. And, and it's very hard when people challenge your motives and tell other people about your bad motives. And it's only when you start building that happens. When you're having dreams, no one will attack you. It's when you start putting brick on brick on brick and purpose and dates and cubits. Yeah, we're going to be there. We're going to do this. We're going to start here. We're having a meeting. Who, who are you having a meeting? Oh, we're doing it. And, and yeah, you get opposition because you're starting to build now. It's a different deal. You get a challenge. Your dreams make great, but you stay a dreamer until you start building. You stay a dreamer. And God wants us to start building. And also we've got to start building in our own personal lives. You know, sometimes prayer is hard. And we, we, I, I want to be a grace preacher. I'm not going to say, oh, you have to pray, pray to impress God. No, we don't need to pray to impress God. Jesus has impressed God on our behalf. Hallelujah. We're righteous as a gift. We're accepted because he delights in Jesus and we're hidden in Jesus. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to know that. Having said that, I want to build a prayer life. I want to build a prayer life. I read these guys. I read about Hudson Taylor. I read about George Mueller. I read about, I think, man, I've got to learn to pray. So you've got to start to build a prayer life. You have to build it. It's tough sometimes. Discipline. Working it out. Saying, well, I'm going to build this. I don't build it to prove myself. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a woman of prayer. And so sometimes we need to seek somebody out. They say, can I pray with you? I find my mind goes all over the place. Can I pray with you? Will you teach me to pray? Maybe you know an older guy, an older woman. You say, I just know you're a woman of prayer. I'm a pastor's wife. I want to learn to pray. Would you pray with me? Can I pray with you? Help me. Seek people out. So we begin to build a prayer life. We begin to feel more confident in God. We begin to learn how to get hold of promises, build them into our lives, affirm them, claim them, argue them in the presence of God. We begin to build a prayer life. You've got to build it. It means times. It means cubits. It means dates. It means I'm going to build this thing. See, if you don't do that, you're not going to grow. You're not going to build anything. It's so important that we do that. We begin to build. Or your knowledge of the Bible. Are you, st- are you still building? Are you working at it? It's important. What, what, what are you reading at the moment? Say, so, well, I read about... No, no, no. Come on. Let's get down to it. And when I first left... Uh, uh, my secular job, and I thought God called me, actually called me to pray and to evangelize, and I wasn't quite sure how I was to go at first, but I just went knocking doors, and, and I thought, I don't know much. <laughs> I don't know much. Uh, so I better, I bought myself a Louis Burkhoff systematic theology. 
and it's all tiny print, and it's, you know, it's heavy stuff. It's what Peter Lewis calls deep frozen Burkhoff. Anyway, <laughs> I, and I got myself some notepads, and I just wrote it, you know. Trinity, you know, incarnation, you know, holy God, holy... Wow, I'm trying to build, I want to know God, I want to know about God. I want to go, keep on. I've been getting fascinated afresh by the incarnation. I'm reading, I read three books on the incarnation last year. I want to know. I, I, I want to build some knowledge. Not so that I can say I'm puffed up with knowledge, but I'm excited. Great is the mystery of godliness. God became flesh. Wow. And to know more, to know more. The God who became man, I read last, ah, oh, it's wonderful. You think, goodness, this is awesome. So we've got to build up. We build up our knowledge. See, some of our people don't build up their knowledge. We've got to help them be inspired to do that. They throw in the towel. They say, oh, Jehovah's Witness, not the door. Well, they know the Bible. I don't. Come on, let's help people to know what they believe and understand they've got to build up. They've got to work at it, win battles. They've got to win battles with indecisiveness, lack of commitment. You've got to win battles with these things. Give yourself to it. Ed Cole says, people think maturity comes with age. No, he says, growing old comes with age. Maturity comes with taking responsibility. So you can get a Wayne Grudem these days, much more accessible. Nice big print, questions at the end. It's all very friendly. You don't have to go through frozen Burkhoff. You know, let's learn, let's know what we believe. Let's keep the people safe. Let's learn some church history. We've always, uh, we've had our big conferences. I've always asked somebody, please do a church history seminar. I've just come from one of our uh, teams, one based in Dubai. One of the guys come, did a terrific church history review. Otherwise, you think the church was born 20 years ago. Now that's the choice. The church started 20 years ago. Come on. Let's know the roots. Let's honor the giants of the faith down through the centuries. Let's have a sense of history. We have to build, we have to work at that. So pleased one of our guys has really worked hard and others are following through. Let's understand what has God done through the centuries. It gives, it gives character to who we are. We have to work at it. We have to start building, working, getting to grips with. It's like guys say, <laughs> I feel called to the mission field. Oh, great. Are uh, you learning the language? Uh, learning the language? <laughs> yeah, there's a course. Oh, you mean you have to turn up? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be a house group leader. Oh, we have a training program for that. A training program? I thought I'd just be a house group leader. No, there's a program. You know, it takes 10 weeks. We start there. Oh, do I have to come every week? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, I thought I'd just drift into it. And when you start, you know, build on me. I want to help you build this church. Build on me. Okay, will you turn up every Wednesday? Hmm, not sure about that. Now, this guy, he began to build. There has to be a building and it says, you shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. It says, it says the wonderful thing, it says, you will, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. Some people say, well, I've heard that. Romans 6, I've heard it preached, doesn't work for me. You know, you've died to sin. Well, I've heard it preached. No, no. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. People have snatches at doctrines. They don't continue in it. They don't work at it. They don't let it get built into them. Then, if you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth. Truth will free you. We've got to help people build. We've got to ourselves make sure we're building and then helping other people build, 
their lives, building life. It says he began to build. He had a dream. He established himself, cut out all the other claims on his life. He had a dream to build. Secondly, or next, he began to build. Then next, you turn over again, chapter 5 and verse 1. Uh, it's two chapters gap this time. It takes longer when you start building. Eh? Chapter 5, verse 1. Thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. He finished it. That's a phenomenal word. He finished it. He finished the work. He got it completed. Got it completed. I was speaking at a conference in England, uh, New Word Alive, I think it was called, and I was standing in a queue for coffee or something, and uh, I suddenly saw a couple that I used to know at Bible College, and I've not seen since I left Bible College, like 40 years ago. And uh, I knew this guy, and I, I used to go to his room occasionally. He was, he was kind of head student. He'd been elected onto the student committee. He was head student. I go to his room, and uh, it's Ralph, and a uh, great guy. And he got married to Ailsa, I think, while they were at college. And I went to his room, and, and, and around the room, there's bits of paper stuck on the wall. And uh, I look at them, and, and there's, it's all Japanese hieroglyphics. They're just Japanese. And underneath, the English. And they'd be stuck on the wall, you know, around the mirror, all over. There's these, these words. You think, God, what is all that? It's Japanese. He feels God's called him to Japan. And there's bits of paper stuck on the wall everywhere, Jap Japanese phrases. And I saw him. I mean, I haven't seen him for 40 years. And I, and I saw him in this car. I thought, man, I like that. It's Ralph. And that's Ailsa. I mean, it's the same couple, just 40 years older. You know, but I could, <laughs> hey, look at that. And I went out and said, Ralph, Ailsa. Hi, Terry. Said, wow, good to see you. What have you been doing? He said, we've just come back from Japan. What? We've been there for 40 years serving wow. God. I think, whoa. I mean, I just stood there. Wow. I remember bits of paper on the wall. Now we've served God in Japan for 40 years. 40 years. Phenomenal. And it starts with that. Now he just committed himself, went for it, goes for it. And it says here, he completely finished, he finished the work. He completed it. Oh, I think it's striking. I've seen it once or twice since I've been down here. That, that flyover down in Cape Town, it just kind of, it stops. It just stops in space. You must be familiar with it. You know, I often think of that. And, and, and I was down there the other day, and there's some guys working, but we thought, are they working or are they just taking film? I think they were just taking film. And, but you think, well, that's very good. That's some. And when I first saw this, he didn't finish it. I, I, actually, I actually sent a, uh, an email to uh, my daughter, Anna, uh, Anna van Rijn, uh, and I said, Anna, can you send me a picture of that? I'm struck by that. You know, it's not finished. And... Uh, and actually, Stephen from Rain, her, her husband, said, actually, here's a website, and it's got all these bridges all over the world that stop, stop, stop. And they just started, but never finished. They're bridges that have started and never finished. And there's a website showing these things. You think, man, this is terrible. They started it, but they couldn't finish it. And that's hugely challenging, isn't it? We've all got stuff in our garages we started, but... Mm. Oh, they're in the loft now. Well, I started it. Mm, I didn't finish it. And so finishing is a huge thing. Finish, finishing the work. Getting it done. Getting it completed. And I want, you know, things, there are people in the Bible who didn't, 
finish. They started. You get probably one of the most famous, a guy called Demas. And Paul, Paul names Demas three times, I think, in his epistles. You know, Demas, my co-laborer, he's working with Paul. And then he says, Demas has left me, forsaken me, having fallen in love with this passing age. He suddenly he was going for God and he suddenly saw something that glittered that was totally irrelevant and he went for it. So he didn't finish. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't finish. They don't finish. I, I used to get something from my Bible college of an update of my year. I didn't say the whole, but the year I was with. And of my year, the number of guys still in ministry got smaller and smaller as the years went by. So in the end, it's like two or three of a whole year that started and they're, not, and they're just not there now. They started, but for all sorts of reasons, God knows them, I don't know them, but they, they stopped. And that's hugely challenging. Hugely challenging. Not, not to finish what you started, not finishing. So sometimes it can come through distractions, Sometimes, I mean, there was a guy who led a, a network in the, in the UK, of an apostolic network, I think we've been very happy to have called it, going back some years now. And actually, he had an extraordinary experience. He had cancer, and, and he really went through the battle with cancer and came through it. And I remember when people saying, no, he's not going to turn up because he's only just come through. And he came to this meeting, he was there. And, he, and his head was, the hair was just beginning to grow again. Uh, and he'd come right through the cancer and out the other side. And I thought, wow. I remember we huddled around him. You know, it's so wonderful. I said, how, you know, how did you cope? He said, I really felt God spoke to me. And I wanted to find a promise. He said, I know all the promises. But he said, I said to God, I want you to speak to me through John's gospel. And I'm just going to tie into John. And I want you to speak to me. And he turned the pages, turned the pages, and prayerfully, and came a promise. He got it. I got a word from God. And he said, hang on to God, hang on to God, and came through. I mean, it was just a wonderful testimony. I thought, boy, does this man know God? What a test, what a trial, what he's been through. Phenomenal. Within two years, he'd left his wife and gone off with another girl, whom he also left and went off with another one. I thought, what? But I mean, you were my hero. But no, no, it's gone. He didn't finish. And the whole that network doesn't exist. It's just gone. Completely disappeared off the planet. And you think, wow, he, he just lost it. And not finishing is huge. God wants us to finish. And, and he, he, got, he lost it through distraction. Demas, he saw something else. He went off. Sometimes disillusionment people can throw in the town. But just disillusion with people. People let you down. People hurt you. Again, you think of uh, Nehemiah. It says Nehemiah had guys who stayed with him, but he says they were writing letters to the people who were opposed to him. You think, but you're with me. You're part of my team. Yeah, I'm with your team, but I actually write to this guy telling him why I'm not happy with your team. And I mean, when I first got started, <laughs> guys said, we st we t I heard later, they said, we're staying with him to provide the balance. In other words, we're trying to stop this guy moving in the spirit. Oh, yeah, we're with you. But writing to other people saying, you know, we'll, we'll hold this down. It so hurts, doesn't it? People who think, I thought he was with me. And you th some people think, oh, forget it. Forget it. I know as still a young pastor, when I, the leadership in the church, I was invited to, out of Bible college, I'd been to a phenomenally charismatic church while I was at Bible college. 
I, it's very early days. <laughs> I was baptized in the Spirit in 62, and that's how old I am. And uh, I went to Bible college, and I, I walked into a church. It wasn't an old-time Pentecostal, if I may use such a phrase. England's Pentecostal movement was not very exciting. This was a new church, very exciting. Wow, phenomenal. I mean, healings, wonderful songs in the Spirit. People sang Calypso song, interpreted Calypso. You think, man, this is, I've never been anything like it. God's so here. It's just God is in this place. It's breathtaking. God's in this place. I remember once I was there, and uh, it, was, it was just in a very crowded room. Not everyone had a seat. And the guy's sitting on the floor in front of me, and someone gave me the communion plate, and he's sitting there, so I'm stepping over this guy to give the communion plate to somebody else. As I do so, this guy's on the floor, and he starts prophesying. He's got his eyes closed. I didn't know I was standing there. He's prophesying, my son. And it was, it was my birthday, perhaps I'm permitted to say this, it was my birthday, and that morning, someone had sent me a card with one of my favorite verses in it. You know how you get favorite verses? It's like your verse. And, he get, and, and I had that, and then I tore off my calendar, and again, it's another one of my favorite verses on my birthday. I thought, Jesus, thank you. This is wonderful. That and that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I went to church. I'm in church, communion, I'm, walking, I'm stepping over this guy, just about, and this guy's on the floor with his eyes closed and says, my son, huh? I've gave the communion, and he prophesied and quoted both the verses. You know, I'm standing, I think, man, God is in this place. God is in this place. And I thought, I want to build a church like that. So when I went down to this new church, a free evangelical church, loved the gospel, didn't know about the Holy Spirit, I said, look, I want you to know I've been filled with the Spirit. If I come, I'd like a church that's open to the Spirit. They said, you preach the Bible, we'll follow you wherever you go. And that was good, and it happened ultimately, but at first, those guys were very unhappy when people started to get filled with the Spirit. And, and, and the leadership was all divided. Terrible. Leadership. I thought, man, this is terrible. I can't get any unity of the leaders. People are beginning to get filled with the Spirit, things beginning to happen. But the leader, and so I wrote my letter of resignation. I wrote it and said, you know, I'm leaving. I, I can't see how God could bless a disunited leadership. I must move on. I didn't know where. I must move on. I wrote this letter. When I finished it, as clear as anything, I heard God say to me, very nice. Did I tell you to write that? And I said, uh, no, Lord. I said, right, throw it away. And I, I threw it away. And we pressed on. And God dealt with the situation. But the temptation to think, how can this work? You see, it's not only like lustful things like this other guy I mentioned. You think, ooh, I'm going after this. Throw away everything. Sometimes it's just disappointment. People fail you. People let you down. People do the dirty on you. You think, oh, blow it. But to finish, you've got to get through that. You've got to come and say, no, I'm going to look to Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God. Draw close to God again. You can sometimes, it's disillusionment with yourself. You know, you preach a bum sermon. I've done plenty of those. And you think, God, what am I doing in this? You know, it's horrible when you do it in a big, you know, like a Bible week or something huge. And you preach the worst sermon you've ever preached. You think, God, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, I'll never preach again. You know, my wife's dug me out of a few holes over the years. And you just feel, I can't do this. All sorts of reasons people don't finish. This guy finished. He finished the building. I want us to commit ourselves to 
finishing disappointment, depression, despair. You just have to say, Lord, help me. Help me. And when people get into sin, they've overcome God's warnings. That's why there's, there's emphasis on conscience. When someone goes after something, you, shouldn't, you can't do that easily. The conscience stirs you, stirs you. I was in Italy once with a wonderful pastor called, a guy called Giovanni and uh, he's driving me along and there's a red light and it hasn't suddenly changed, it's red he just drove straight through it and I looked at him, he looked over at me driving on and I, I, said, I, I looked and he said it is expressing an opinion Now, your conscience is not expressing an opinion, right? It's saying, don't do that. Don't. It's, it's, it's intuitive. Don't argue with it. See, some people want to argue as though the conscience was logical. Your conscience is not logical. It's intuitive. It just says, stop it. So it's no good applying logic. Well, he's an elder. I know he does it. No, don't do that. Well, she started it first. If she wants to get back up, no, the conscience says, don't live like that. Stop re- it's not reasonable. Don't reason with it. It's intuitive. <laughs> Wrong. Red light. Stop it. So don't say, well, she started it, or he does it. He's a Christian. No, no, that's applying logic to conscience. Conscience is not logical. It's intuitive. It says, that's out. Stop it. And it, it says here, Paul says about these guys who keep faith in a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. Shipwreck doesn't happen out of the blue. It really doesn't. It happens if you reject conscience. If you say, well, I don't care. I can get away with this. Nobody knows. No, don't do that. You make shipwreck. I read quite recently about the Titanic. I didn't know this. That the Titanic, there were several warnings there's ice in that area. Be very careful. But the Titanic was an amazing ship. And the captain was near to retirement and he could have broken the record of the Atlantic crossing. And that's what he was focused on. I'm going to break the record of the Atlantic crossing. And he ignored the warnings and made terrible shipwreck. See, he, he just lost the plot. He got distracted. He got focused on something he shouldn't have been focused on. And he, dis- he didn't obey. This Paul says here, look, they've ignored conscience and made shipwreck. Don't do it. Right, don't do it. Let's be very, very careful because we want to finish what God's given us to do. You find the Apostle Paul is warned by his friends, don't go down to Jerusalem, it's dangerous. And you get that wonderful statement in Acts 20, where he says, I don't count my life as of any value nor as precious to myself if only I can finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord. They're saying, Paul, you're so precious to us. Don't go there. No, no, no. This may be why I fulfill my ministry. I might lose my life, but I'm going to fulfill my ministry. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to do the job God called me to do. That's a wonderful ambition, isn't it? I've run the race. I've fought the fight. 
I've finished it. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. And Paul's lovely ambition in, in Philippians 3, where he says, I want to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of me. God laid hold of us. We didn't choose him. That's what it says at the beginning. God's chosen you. Solomon, you're God's choice. Come on. Do what God's called you to do. And you get the wonderful prayer of Jesus. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. It's the most wonderful word. It is finished, is the word from the cross. They say to him, Jesus, have you had anything to eat? They come to him. They've been buying food. He's talking to them at the well. Have you had anything to eat? I have food to eat you know nothing about. This is my meat to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, to finish it. John 17, I've finished it. The cross, it is finished. See, that's not a, oh, it's finished. It's kind of, I've done it. It's accomplished. That's what it means. It's accomplished. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. That's my meat. May that be ours, beloved. It's my meat. I want to do what he's called me to do. I want to finish it. So he had a dream. He had a calling. He had a dream. He gave application. Gave himself to build. Kept building. Didn't get distracted. Solomon finished the building. God help us to complete what he's given us to do. Our time is finished. Let's just, let's just pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of fellowship, for dear friends. Well, some of us don't cross one another's path too often, but we're so grateful for this common calling, this knowledge that we belong to you, that we are yours. Father, I do pray that you will keep us on course. I pray if any, Lord, sitting here this morning have just heard in their heart that prick of the conscience, that, hey, careful, get away from that. Please give us energy to make great decisions. I pray for moral energy to turn away, to give ourselves, to build, to do something that brings you glory. Bless every church here, Father, every group of elders, every pastor, wives of these leaders, Spirit of God, on their families. Help us to build good homes, good families. Help us to build one another up in our holy faith. Lord Jesus, please bless these sessions to us today. Let it be worthwhile that we gave up this morning, Lord. Let it, let it be of worth to us as we press forward, Father, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.